This is Cody Fields from Westminster Effects. With my pastor and internet stranger and the occasional special guest, we at the Westminster Effects Doxology Podcast are brought together by an excitement for worship, an unflappable passion for theology, and general nerdiness for all things church. You're like, oh, you're down with the evangelical hymns. Over and over again, he would ask them, have you not read? Having that, that healthy faith life that's rooted in scripture. Are you trying to point people toward Jesus? <laughs> if it's hip, if it's hype, if it's cool, if it's trendy, just put me on that wave, baby. We explore the substance of worship and church leadership while standing firm on the foundation of scripture and basking in the light of the gospel. We'd love to have you join us for the Doxology Podcast, brought to you by Westminster Effects. New episodes released every week and available on iTunes, Spotify, or your favorite podcast catcher. Welcome to the Westminster Effects Doxology Podcast. I'm Cody Fields, the president of the Noseminster Family of Guitar Effects in Greenville, South Carolina. You can check us out at westminstereffects.com and make sure you join the Westminster Effects Doxology Podcast Lounge on Facebook. Also, by the way, uh, we have an Indiegogo campaign going right now to help cover some NAM expenses. There's all kind of discounts, t-shirts, uh, a promo for me to get a metal zone tattoo and put up a video of it, which my wife is not happy about, but that would require one person giving me $2,500. Uh, anyway, <laughs> follow us and comment on Facebook and Instagram, subscribe on iTunes and Spotify, leave a five-star review. You know how all this works. Joining me as usual is Bradley Cox. I'm the lead pastor at Resurrection Church in Greer, South Carolina. As well as... This is John Ross, Westminster Effects artist and church nerd from Lincoln, Nebraska. So this week starts our our new show format, hey, and this I'm is gonna inter- all I'm gonna John's inter- doing. I'm going to interrupt you real quick as you're Good. Blame, blaming me for things. Hey, I will. So I will blame the you. guy the guy out there who bought like the really expensive sewer guitar on our Amazon affiliate link, buy the Indiegogo level for Cody's Metal Zone tattoo. So also, I don't yes. know who I don't know who you are. We don't know who you are, but your name, whoever you are, insert it here. If you're listening, twenty five hundred bucks, and Cody will make a <laughs> terrible decision. Sorry, continue. And and my wife will also have scorn upon you. Think for this. Yes. Think of so. the power that this one individual, anonymous to the internet, holds. <laughs> my goodness uh fire of a thousand suns so so new format we're gonna bounce around a little bit more not uh harp on one single topic or even one topic with a couple of subtopics if you will uh so how we're gonna start these out uh at least for the time being is a little bit of a of a review of well news and then uh how john put it blurbs about last week's worship services so John, what did you do over in Nebraska? (laughs) I didn't go to worship service this past weekend. 
you. I'm a sinner. I'm, you so, are, I'm sorry. You, I'm you sorry. are one pathetic sorry. loser. <laughs> I'm not. I'm not. And I'll, t- and I'll stink and tell you why. And we have snow in Nebraska. So, so you guys, when rain comes from the sky and makes the ground wet, <laughs> see, when it gets cold enough, <laughs> it turns white. And when it turns white, it piles up. Like when you have to go clean out your deep freeze. And we got to all you got to go buy milk and bread. <laughs> That's beforehand. You can't do that afterwards. Right. See, you guys don't even have the order of operations right. <laughs> How are we supposed to have a legitimate conversation? Okay, so we had a uh, big blizzard. It's not. That's a treat from Dairy Queen. This was just snow. Um, we had a lot of snow, and so woke up on Sunday morning. I wasn't on worship team, so it was kind of kind of good. Uh, parents had recently uh, left from the Thanksgiving holiday, so kind of going through some child detox. So what I did is I fired up my massive snowblower and snowblowed the block. So while I did not go to worship service, I served my neighbor using the blessings and tools with which God has provided me. <laughs> still well, a sinner, yeah. still a sinner, but a At sinner with clear good. sidewalks. You yeah. made it. You made it sound holy, so that's what counts, right? Yeah, and I didn't even like stand next to their bedroom window, running my snowblower, staring in, waiting for me to note, waiting for them to notice. I did it <laughs> under the cover of morning. No one even knew. It was wonderful. Mm-hmm. Mostly, no one talked to me, so I kind of like that. But yeah. <laughs> uh, so I guess I mean. The other side of, well, how do you even say it? Because, you know, those who being, actually went to church, you know, we see, <laughs> we see you through a screen and then the other two of us are actually in person. Mm-hmm. Uh, but we also are kind of at the same church. So how are we going to manage this? Uh, so I guess. Why don't you talk about like what we did from a so, so congregational on, on the spot worship sermon? start? Oh, okay, on the spot sermon review, and I'll. I was going to say, why don't you say what Brad? No, what you, you thought? I'd love that. Please. Why don't you share what you got out of Bradley's sermon, and then Bradley actually says what he meant you to get? Yeah, out. that could be interesting. Yeah, that like could, a, like an go ahead, go ahead. He's sweating, right, John? So. He is literally sweating. <laughs> <laughs> got me all nervous and stuff. Uh, so we've been plugging through Romans. And uh, so we started Romans 4, and as you put it, Bradley, Abraham was exhibit A of justification by faith alone. Uh, you know, as Edwards put it, we contribute nothing to our salvation except the, except for the sin that made it necessary. And then you compared and contrasted with uh, James 2, and people were like, but it says we're also justified by works. And then it's like, no, they're answering two different questions. Um, it's basically... Paul is writing to the Romans saying, look, you don't earn your salvation. Stop trying to earn it. And James is saying, how about you do something? (laughs) How about you act like this is real? Uh, So did did I kind of get it right there, Bradley? Cody paid really good attention. (laughs) I think think my goal was, um, you know, I, I think the first three and a half chapters of Romans really builds to that question is like, how is it possible that a person can even, a sinner before a holy and righteous God, how can that sinner ever possibly be justified? And Paul answers the question uh, really in chapter 3 at the end of it when he talks about uh, Christ being put forth as our redemption and our propitiation. Uh, He bought us, he redeemed us from the yoke of slavery under the power of sin and his sacrifice, propitiation, it's a wrath-exhausting sacrifice 
the wrath of God is satisfied in that. And so we're justified when God applies our sin to Christ and exhausts his wrath in the sacrifice of his son and then justifies us by applying the righteousness of God uh, or the righteousness of Christ to our account. And then I, like Cody said, I just, um, I wanted to resolve the tension um, with James chapter two, when James says, you see that a man is justified not by faith alone, but or justified by works and not faith alone. Um, and like, like Cody said, I think they're answering two different questions. Uh, God doesn't need the works to prove or vindicate a saving faith. We see the works. And I think it's interesting that you know, when James uses the example of Abraham, he says, you see that Abraham is justified by works. Not, you know, it's, it's not that God is looking to works mm. to vindicate justification. We look to works and we go, okay, there's the fruit of genuine saving faith. And John, on top of that, your boy Luther has gotten shout outs from Bradley the last couple of weeks too. Oh yeah, <laughs> man. Since, I, since I was whole, about to say whole, with the, with the exception the of the whole wine important. and water business, you guys are getting pretty Lutheran by the sound of things. <laughs> I thought I, I I quoted Luther Luther and you know Luther said it's it we're justified by faith alone but not it's not a faith that is alone or that stands yeah. alone I think yeah exactly and, and you quoted um you also quoted uh the doctrine upon which the church stands or falls is justification, justification by, by faith. faith alone yeah yeah and I just yeah, mentioned that Luther once thought that James was an epistle of straw yeah. Uh, he he was not he was not the biggest fan of, of the book of James. Um, he changed his mind about it. He did, and you know I think a lot of people, especially uh, you know in previous episodes we've we've talked about the whole Lutheran pride piece. Uh, you know we're almost taught when we hear the words works that uh, you know it's time to you know set buildings on fire and run around waving our hands and and panic. Um, and so when we read James, we're like, but you know, I think you addressed it in, in a, in a really, really great way. And that, I mean, even, even in Jesus's ministry, when he was walking with the disciples and came across the fig tree, they didn't have any figs on it. You know, the, the fig tree was alive ish, but it didn't have any fruit. And right. so Jesus went beast mode and, and just, <laughs> and just you know, destroyed it um, because it was bearing no fruit. Sure, it was a tree. It was alive. It looked like a tree. It smelled like a tree. But it wasn't doing fig tree things, in this case, bearing fruit or the fruit of the spirit, so to speak. I mean, so you can kind of draw this big um, connection all throughout That's Scripture, really good. Which, you know. Arguably, I think is kind of the point uh, that, uh, yeah, we are justified by faith alone, but that faith and the Holy Spirit working within us produces fruit. And if we don't have that, then James is on to something. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I, like that. Yeah. I like that a lot. Yeah. So now that we are in the month of December, at mm. least at Res, we're taking a break from Romans to focus on Advent, uh, you know, that whole Christmas thing kind of, it's, it's pretty popular. I'd, I'd say, uh, you know, a few, a few people enjoy it. Um, so John, especially you being the Lutheran here, 
And since since you people are all about church calendars, uh, give us a little bit on, on the history of Advent, if you could. So I don't know if I have... Uh, that was a we might be in trouble with that, Chuckle. <laughs> I don't know if I have all the bits and pieces here. So for... So there's this concept, and, we, and we've talked about this, uh, you know, before, especially when we had uh, your Anglican friend on uh, in in the early days of the uh, of the Doxology podcast. We talked about the concept of the church year, the liturgical year. So what this amounts to, for those of you who don't know, and there's a you know a decent article on Wikipedia with pictures, and it looks like a big pie chart, and effectively that's what it is. It's a way of separating. Uh, or, or segmenting up the 365 days of the calendar year into uh, different times of the church in which we uh, preach on, focus on, celebrate different things. Uh, in the majority of the year is taken up by uh, what uh, a lot of the Reformed world uh, may call the ordinary time. Mm-hmm. Right? I know that's what the mm-hmm. Anglican world calls it. Yeah. Uh, in the Lutheran tradition, we call it uh, the time after Pentecost, same thing, or the time of the church, same mm-hmm. same difference. Um, and then there's there's others like Lent. Everybody knows about Lent because you get you know fish specials at Wendy's, and uh, <laughs> you know, uh, <laughs> yes. Um, and then you you know then you have Easter, you know, and and. Uh, and then there's Pentecost, and then Holy Trinity Sunday, and then then it's the time after Pentecost or the time of the church, and then you get into Advent, and then Christmas, and then Epiphany, and the whole thing starts over again. Um, Epiphany meaning uh, the whole the whole Wiseman thing. They didn't actually show up on Christmas. Sorry, folks who wrote We Three Kings of Orient are your song is getting used <laughs> at the wrong time. Yeah. Yes. Um, so it's not just to keep things straight and to kind of know what we're doing at church. Um, in the tradition of the liturgical calendar, um, there's also this concept of the lectionary, which is a, some churches use a, a one-year cycle, some churches use a three-year cycle, uh, depends on whether you're in accordance with like, what is it, the second Vatican, Count Vatican II, I think, they change things up and, and whatever, and it's not just for Catholics, they just change things around and there's books and stuff, and the idea is that within a one calendar year or three calendar years, you have assigned readings for each Sunday that you then can preach on. And that would be a reading from the Old Testament, a reading from an epistle, you know, so one of the letters written in the New Testament, and uh, a gospel reading. And those three, every Sunday for one year or three years, will eventually, after that lectionary cycle is done, will have exposed the congregation to what's called as the whole counsel of God. So that's what the lectionary is there for, to make sure that, uh, essentially, not, not even to make sure, it's not like a checks and balance, it's to help a church make sure that they're preaching and teaching the whole counsel of God, who God is and how he operates uh, completely. That's kind of the idea. As far as the history of Advent, dude, I don't have a clue. I mean, exactly. obviously it was obviously it was started by Constantine at the Council of Nicaea. You didn't know that? I didn't. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. No. <laughs> just I mean, for all the people who freak out about Christmas being a pagan holiday and all that kind of that's that's my not so subtle dig uh for for the advent season on the doxology podcast um but... see, to, to me advent's always just been that part of the hymnal that doesn't have the christmas songs in it when i'm looking for christmas songs in the hymnal <laughs> now i i don't get me wrong i love advent um there's a lot of rich tradition that that surrounds it um 
It's the first season of the church year. Thank you, Internet. Um, let's see. <laughs> this is how prepared we are. This is so professional. Hey, it is Wicked, professional because you know what? Google, they don't have to do it. I'm Google, doing it right here. Google flew on the fly. Yeah. yeah. So uh, let's see. Yeah, it's a thing. Advent's a thing. It says so right here in black Advent and white on Wikipedia. <laughs> um, it is the beginning of the Western liturgical year and commences four Sundays before Christmas. Here yeah, so, so Bradley, oh, here we go. Or not. Oh. <laughs> Let him finish his Dude, Wikipedia. A, I, can just, I can just edit this whole thing out. It, it is unknown when the period of preparation for Christmas that is now called Advent first begun. You, sir, you, sir, threw me under the bus. You knew this the whole time. I bet you did. <laughs> Just because I haven't done those video demos for you yet, you're humiliating me in front of tens of people. Right, that, that was my entire motive in this segment. <laughs> More like yeah, tens so. of people, but whatever. Uh, so, Bradley, how do how do we approach Advent here at Resurrection Well, in, for, in little old Greer, South Carolina? I mean, I, I'm not going to sit here and pretend that I am all that familiar either with, you know, historical church tradition around the Advent season. Right, right. Um, but, I mean, we know what the word means, I think. I mean, it means arrival. Like, there, there's someone significant has shown up. And, um, obviously, Christ's arrival into humanity, uh, taking on flesh, as, in my opinion, the greatest miracle ever. I mean, even, even a, you know, not not disparaging the resurrection in any way, but the, the the fact that Jesus was able to set aside his divine privileges without compromising his divine nature. He did not cease to be who he was, even though who he was and is, even though he was he submitted himself all the way to being born as a baby uh, to a woman. Um, it it is. Is amazing, and and that arrival, and even the anticipation of that arrival, I think is it's, it's hard for us to capture emotionally today. Um, you know, Christmas obviously gets so overly commercialized, and even in the church, we have these fantastical notions and images about it, and people put it, churches put on pageants and plays and dramatize the story in such a way that, and I'm not disparaging any of that. If, you know, your church is doing that, that's fine. Um, but, you know, I think what gets lost in all of that drama for me really is the, is the, the gritty story of Christ taking on flesh and the anticipation in humanity of, um, or, or in was particularly among the Jews of the arrival of the Messiah, which, you know, during that silent period between Malachi and Matthew, you know, it's, it, you wonder sort of what was going on, but yet here's Zechariah the priest who's going in and, 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 and uh, for his priestly duties and, and the angel of the Lord shows up and says, you're, your wife Elizabeth's going to have a child. Is going to be filled with the Holy Spirit uh, from uh, the womb, and he's going to be the front runner. You know, he's going to be mm -hmm. the the one who goes before. And 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 then, I guess because of Zechariah's little bit of doubt, he gets you know silenced. He can't say anything. Uh, but th th this light breaking in, this 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 divine interruption into the. Um, into, into human history where Christ comes. Our goal at Res, I think, is to 
try to, through some, some Advent traditions, highlight and celebrate the anticipation and the arrival of Christ um, as, as, a, as a baby um, and who grew to be a man. You know, we don't pray to dear Lord, baby Jesus, but um, <laughs> eight pounds, oh, six ounce, uh, Ricky Bobby. Uh, but it, that's our goal, I think, is to I, at least for me, we were talking about it in our pastor's meeting this week, actually, is that you know, what's our goal with Advent? What are we trying to do uh, in, in, you know, celebrating the Advent season? And I, for me, it's really that is is the to somehow help our church recapture an imagination for the anticipation of his coming and then the joy of his arrival. And and this year, if I remember correctly, uh, instead of only sitting in the gospel, like the early portions of the gospels, mm-hmm. we were going to kind of play off of the series that we've been in in Romans, correct? Yeah, we're going to be, this year, we're, we're, we're going to examine Christmas in the letters of Paul uh, because Paul, I think, gives us... Um, we're going to look at four passages, you know, one each Sunday of Advent. Uh, this Sunday, we're going to be in Philippians 2, uh, the following Galatians 4. Um, the third week will be Colossians 1. And then the final week will be 2 Corinthians 8, um, where, and I'll let our listeners look those passages up and you can read them. But we're, we're Paul gives some real good theological basis for us to think well about the arrival of Christ. And, um, you know, what's going on there. And I, not that the Gospels don't do that as well, but, um, you know, I, I just feel like there's some things that Paul says in those passages that are really, you know, particularly Philippians 2, for example, where he, he talks about, you know, have this mind among yourselves that Christ, who not clutching or clinging uh, to his equality with God, he took on flesh, you know, he he, and, and those words that Paul uses actually help us understand the what I said earlier that he set aside divine privileges without setting aside divine nature, and um, yeah, and 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 lived a sinless life, not relying upon his divine nature, which I think is that's worth exploring it's, too. It's almost like the gospel account is the story of Christmas and Paul fills in the theology of Christmas. In, there you go. In, right. You know, so to speak. Um, so one thing that is, Oh man. Uh, it's like peanut butter and jelly. You think of one, you think of the other, whatever that thing it coincides with, uh, with Advent for me is the advent wreath. Are you familiar with this sort of thing? Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. Yeah. Yeah, we do it here. Do you? Okay, cool. Yeah. I mean, it's it's not something seen too terribly often out of uh, out of the Lutheran circles as far as my I haven't seen it. Uh, is, is that the candles we do every year? Yeah. Okay, we're going to have to be really careful with those this year. <laughs> yeah, well, our stage is smaller now. Well, the, well, the yeah. stage is smaller, and now the subwoofers are underneath. Oh, yeah, and right. They, and they will rattle stuff off of that's, tables. That's really stands. true. I hadn't even thought about that. <laughs> <laughs> nice. That, we, we could burn the church down. Like, I, if we so, were going to do that, we should have done that in the spring. That's right. <laughs> Insurance money. We, 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 do advent, we do an advent wreath at home, John, with our kids. That's awesome. That's fantastic. I mean, and I assume it's the same format. You've got the the four um, outline candles for what is it? It's hope, peace, hope, peace joy, joy, and love. love. 
Mm-hmm. And, and the Christ candle, the Christ in, the candle in the in in the middle, and in one per week. So, for for those of you out there who who are unfamiliar with this concept, uh, it's it's a wreath, but not one that you hang on the wall. Uh, I mean, I suppose you could organize it in such a way, but usually it's it's uh, down on a table. On a table or hanging or something, and it's and it's a it's a ring shaped wreath. Uh, doesn't have to be made of evergreen. It's just a ring, um, you know, symbolizing um, you know the completeness, infinite love, that sort of thing. Um, that which uh, enabled and led God to send His Son, right? Right. And surrounding that, on the rim of the wreath, are four candles, each one representing a different quality. That, that God has and that God shows us hope and, and something that we too have in Christ. Um, so that, that would be the, the hope, peace, joy, and love. And usually there's like three purple ones and one pink one for love, I think. And then yeah. uh, the, the, there's the Christ candle in the middle, which is a, a large white one that's lit uh, on Christmas. And I remember as a kid in my home congregation, not really having a grasp, I mean, as a kid kid, like not really having a grasp of time, like, oh, Christmas is, you know, 23 days away, 21 days away. Because, like, we didn't really do the whole Advent calendar thing at home every year. I think we probably did, one, you know, sometimes. It just wasn't super memorable. Um, because, you know, presents were cool, but, like, for me, what I loved about Christmas was, like, going to Grandma's house, going to church, you know, that sort of stuff. That's what I loved about Christmas and still do. Um, so like the counting down till I could open my presents, which is kind of what a lot of advent calendars are nowadays. I mean, some are filled with, you know, chocolate. My kids have a Lego one that they got from Nana this year, you know, which is cool. You know, whatever you get a new thing every day. That's sweet. But the thing for me that always reminded me how close Christmas was when I'd go to church and I'd see another candle lit because we did Sunday morning services, but we also did Wednesday evening Advent services. And so that new candle would be lit that Wednesday. Oh, it's getting closer. Christmas is getting closer. And I knew it yeah, <laughs> And yeah, when, yeah, because yeah. I had no concept of, you know, of time and hours really. I mean, I was a kid, but I knew that when all four of those candles were lit, that big white one was next. And then it was Christmas time. And yeah, yeah, man, yeah. man, I love that. I still, I, I still do. And even if all the original meaning doesn't really impact me anymore, the fact that that's there brings me joy because when I see it, I think about it. And sometimes in our churches, that whole symbolism uh, piece doesn't mean that it has to be in your face all the time, but it reminds you of something. In this case, well, it reminds me that Christmas is coming, that Jesus is coming, that the ransom for captive Israel, Emmanuel, is coming, and that's awesome. You know, I think, you know, it's hard to teach our kids um, to, to, to properly um, steward all the commercialism and the hype that gets, you know, with Christmas, you know, around the gifts and the toys that they're going to get. But that, that anticipation that we experience as children uh, especially leading up to Christmas is really, I think it, it, it should be, it shouldn't be a counterfeit or a, um, um, what's the word I'm looking for? A counterfeit or, or, um, a cheap substitute of the kind of anticipation and joy we should feel around the coming of Christ. It, it, it maybe it could be a pointer. It could be a reminder is that that kind of childlike anticipation leading up to Christmas morning 
that for you, John, you know, the Advent wreath played a played a role in. Um, even if you were thinking about the toys you would unwrap on on Christmas morning. Uh-huh. But that kind of anticipation, I think, is at the heart of what the Advent season is supposed to be about, you know. And as we think back to that kind of almost, it's so hard to wait, and then Christmas morning comes, and that joy we felt, and and as children, that's really what I think the church has tried to historically um, capture for people or emphasize for people is. That's what Advent's all about. And I mean, uh, think think of all the anticipation that that ancient Israel had. I mean, you you grew up in your entire life hearing and reciting the words of the prophets. Right. That one is coming, and then you hear from some bearded naked guy eating bugs, uh, running around in the in, in the <laughs> in the desert. He's coming. Who's He's coming? coming? The guy, the guy back here that the dead guy wrote. He's coming. Yeah. Could you imagine? Oh, man, that is the excitement that Advent is about. And, Absolutely. you know, you know and, and Cody, you mentioned the people in the church getting all up in arms about the so-called pagan connections mm-hmm. uh, oh, yeah. or roots for a lot of We can Christians. do an entire episode on that. We could. <laughs> and, and here's what I've always said to people is you can find a pagan root or connection in history to almost everything. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, but... We we as the church have the opportunity to redeem yep. Taking a back. lot of these yeah, redeem a lot of these traditions and rituals and, and things that we do and, and that get way overly commercialized. Um and we, we have the opportunity to redeem that and teach our children and remind ourselves and our church and our family and our small groups that that this kind of joy and anticipation, even the gift giving it, it it can be and it should be a pointer and a reminder to you know the the significance of the coming of Christ uh, into the world. Um, so yeah, I, I I think redemptive. How can we redeem these things rather than you know just disparage them? So it may also be that we should redeem some of the music. That comes along with Christmas. Um, so that, that's our, our next topic, which perfect segue, I know. Um, but but there's there's some fantastic really good. there's some fantastic Christmas music out there. There's also some really, really bad oh my and gosh, just terribly so bad. cheesy Christmas music oh out there, whether whether it's secular or sacred. Uh, mm-hmm. there's there's good and bad on both sides. Um, so how do we go about selecting our our songs in the advent season and that anticipation of finally celebrating christmas don't sing mariah carey's all i want for christmas <laughs> uh, as like an offertory hymn you know I, I don't know how many in our audience like their churches include you know what you might call secular christmas music in their services and whatnot i don't have a huge problem with that it, it, it depending on the context and what they're doing. I mean, you know, I, th- I think joy and celebration, having fun, laughing. I mean, a lot of the Christmas music that it isn't, you know, Christian um, isn't necessarily bad or evil. Um, I think, you know, it can have its place in our families. And um, but I think in, in the one of the things I think about as a pastor 
is, you know, my church in particular primarily gathers as a whole once a week. Mm-hmm. And we got four Sundays of Advent. And I want to maximize every last second of those Sundays um, because this is the time of year where we we celebrate and emphasize the birth of Christ, and it's 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 significant. It's 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 essential, and so I don't want to do I don't want to do anything that's not going to contribute to people's uh, thinking and and people growing in the grace and the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ, particularly around the story of His birth. Uh, and so I, I would think about that first. I, w- I would maximize your services to that end, as opposed to saying, "Oh, well, let's include some of these other things because it'll be fun and and whatever." I I, I don't know. I'm just a fan of intentional, um, being intentional with the four Sundays of Advent that we get once a year. That's a good point because we typically view Christmas and Easter as as the more uh, evangelistically minded services because that's when people show up the most. But there's nothing wrong with that by any means. But you also don't want to dumb it down no. to uh, or, or dilute it or whatever you want to say is is you don't want to you don't want to compromise anything just because we have people here who probably we're not going to see for several more months. Exactly, and I think the, the other thing I would say, and I'll give the floor to John, but I I I would be very careful with songs that don't speak well of the Christmas story, either from a historical standpoint or even a theological standpoint. Um, You know, one that comes to mind that we, you know, we've done it at our church. You know, the kids get up and sing Away in a Manger, you know. Um, And it's a cute little song, but, you know, the baby Lord Jesus, no crying he makes. That's not, Mm -hmm. I, I don't like that. I don't like that line in the song because he he was a baby. He was really a baby. He really did. He, he really was born as a baby. Oh, yeah. and, I mean, and he, he, better... he got wet. He needed milk. I mean, it's, exactly it's yeah. baby things. Or or Mary, did you know? Because she she was informed. She <laughs> she did know. <laughs> did you know? Yep. So I just would be I, I I try to be careful with stuff like that that we're not we're not singing things that perpetuate this fairy tale you know, picture that we have in our heads of the Chris, of the advent of Christ, because uh, it, it, it was gritty. It was raw. Um, and we, we need to we need to think well about that. So. So I think that. The thing that really makes Christmas difficult from a music perspective in church. Is because Christmas, along with Easter, but Easter's different, uh, is really one of the only secularized church holidays that we have. I mean, like, sure, Easter, you have Easter Bunny and things like that, but you don't have, like, Easter carols. Not, I mean, other than, like, oh, Peter Cottontail jumping down. You know, that's really it. Um, that's a good point. You know, Christmas, though, Christmas is, you know, Christmas is everyone's holiday. So, I mean, from the perspective of the world. And so not only do you have the, you know, the rich tradition of hymns and, and church music for Christmas, you also have, you know, whatever, whatever Bing Crosby and Burl Ives decided to record back in the, back in the sixties. But the thing is, is that they all combine 
into into one person's or a group of people's idea of tradition, right? So when people come to church on Christmas, you know, they expect they expect to sing, "Oh, come all you faithful, uh, hark the herald angels sing, angels we have heard on high," um, you know, "Oh, holy night," for instance, yeah. you know, things like that. Um, but I think even you know, possibly in the younger crowd that there's some temptation to incorporate uh, some more secularized ones that have a more fresh feeling to it. And we've seen this in in our own church as well. I mean, there there have been decisions made for for songs in past Christmases that they haven't necessarily been secular-ish. Like, they've been, you know, vaguely, vaguely Christian or written by a Christian artist or, or something like Christmas this year by Toby Mac we did last year. It's it's just cheesy and tacky. Like there's no reason why? for it. I don't know. Why, I don't know. why Toby Mac ever for anything? Yeah, well, because <laughs> DC sure, talks, sure man. I'm sure he's a good guy, but come on. <laughs> wasn't my decision, and but nonetheless, I, I really didn't like it. And a couple of years before, they did like 12 Days of Christmas with partridges and the whole th- I don't know. I, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. So Steve Wells, if you're listening to this podcast, I, I still love you, dude. You're my friend. <laughs> John still loves you, but get it. Kind of a, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so because here, here's my challenge with Christmas music. I have grown up singing and hearing the same songs on the radio in church done the same way or ever. And some of them just get downright tiring. Some of them are even difficult to sing, even though, everyone, Oh, I love that song. Can you sing? Of course I can sing it. And you know, it's just screeching yeah. or whatever. Like I used to have this, uh, this thing I'd say around Christmas, like, I think that if you, you, you have a record label, you should require all of your artists to write a new Christmas album every year with fresh songs. So we have something different, you know, because <laughs> there, because there are some new good ones, uh, coming out. Um, but I think that's a challenge that the, that maybe the, the younger, uh, worship organization folk, uh, have is, is because some of the old Christmas hymns just seem stale because they've been sung forever. They might want to insert something, you know, something new and fresh and, you know, to, to that end, Bradley, I completely agree with you. Be intentional about the things that you choose. You know, so that, I mean, the whole point of Christmas is to point people to Christ because that's the whole whole reason. Right. And there's there's a there's a like you're talking about these arrangements like there is a place for a Chris Tomlin arrangement, though, at our church, we've kind of beaten some of his into the ground. And and Bradley specifically requested, (laughs) hey, can we not? (laughs) <laughs> with Chris Tomlin. Move on from Chris Tomlin. Yeah, and, but uh, I think I think it was Shane, and Shane just put out a new Christmas album, mm, if yeah. I remember correctly, mm. and you know that's going to be legit. Oh, yeah. So, so there's there are more resources than than we typically want to admit. It's just you got to look for them a little harder. For sure. You know who j- also just came out with a, with a, a Christmas EP? Uh, it's a follow-up to their one last year, Planet Shakers, which, mm, you know, really? our, our, our listeners will know I'm kind of a Planet Shakers fan. Um, just because even though their services get a little scurry-dewy. Um, brand new Christmas <laughs> album, um, 
it's it's like four traditional you know rearranged hymns and you know like one new one uh but i mean they're very obviously planet shakers a lot of electronic elements in there so if that's your church's style you do a lot of young and free you do a lot of planet shakers that could be a cool thing right there. And I've been listening to that almost nonstop. It is and awesome. Those, Probably those the best lines. version of Hark the Herald Angel Sing I've ever heard. I know. Really? Oh, yeah. It's fantastic. It's fantastic. Um, it does seem like it's been, like I don't know if you feel this way, John, but the last, uh, I don't know, five, ten years, it, it, I, I feel like Christmas music is finally catching up with the modern worship Genre mm. in, in the modern worship genre, it's finally catching up. We're finally getting some good because I think those two albums that Chris Tomlin put out mm-hmm. in the last I don't know five, six, seven years yeah. or whatever those those were pretty good. And I hadn't really found anything like that before that had a guitar driven yeah thing that and and good new Christmas music that wasn't cheesy. Well, I mean, and you could actually really engage in worship with that, like you could. It, yeah, and correct me a, norm, a normal it, prison. It also exactly. seems it also seems that that's kind of coincided with a lot more of the really good modern hymn arrangements. Yes, uh, where you know you you think of someone like uh, King's Kaleidoscope or Ascend the Hill, even though they're not the most congregationally friendly, since they're you know over the top in their mm-hmm. creativity. But at the same time, like those guys, and then uh, Citizens. Uh, Etc. are all putting mm-hmm. out some pretty insanely good hymn arrangements instead of just like, hey, we're going to have some some power chords and a really cheesy lead guitar line in yeah, between. Petra. <laughs> Petra. I've got Petra's Christmas album somewhere. You know, the like the I, Bradley. I think I think you're exactly right with that. And really, I'm pretty sure it's tied to the record industry. Uh, I mean, probably so. You know, because if you think about the trend, like the people who are majority, I'm not talking about like the soccer moms who buy, you know, whatever to play in their van. Um, But the more millennial age group is looking for more substance, more Mm -hmm. meat. Right. And so that's, I think that's why those hymn arrangements are becoming more popular. And the record industry is finally seeing that and actually marketing, uh, you know, the good stuff, because there's been good stuff consistently, but you're right. You have to look for it. Um, you know, one of my favorite Christmas albums is by uh, a band called uh, Sela. Actually, that's my daughter's name uh, as well, um, called uh, Light of the Stable. Or, Well, that's the song. The name is like Rose of Bethlehem or something. It's, it's a fantastic album, but it didn't really match the market when it came out because Every Christian artist has a Christmas album. I mean, you can look at that John Christ parody video of how to, you know, how to succeed in the <laughs> Christian music world. More water references, you get a Christmas album, greatest hits. That's your career. Because, yeah. um, like, I've got the Stephen Curtis Chapman Christmas albums, the Michael W. Smith <laughs> Christmas albums. They all did the same formula. I mean, you've got the synth strings, you've got the jingle bell track, you've got the piano, tons of, you know, kind of reverby, washy stuff that just feels like Christmas. And you can close your eyes and you can almost hear the snow falling. That's not what people, I mean, from, from a musicality standpoint, that's just not what's really selling anymore because the market had been saturated for years by K-Love Christmas I mean, that's really what it is. I mean, Caleb is great, and it puts Christian music, uh, or, or at the very least, a um, a non-offensive music 
alternative on the radio waves. That's great, but it's pretty vanilla, right? Because they want to reach the oh, largest, yeah. the largest listener base that they can. Uh, but I think finally that Bradley hit it spot on that things are changing enough that people want more meat, more variety, more creativity in music that they're finally becoming different and Christian music as a whole. I mean, it's finally becoming something different and not just a rip off of, uh, you know, you two and insert punk band here. Sorry, you're lying. K, you know, <laughs> but I think, I, and I'll, I'll say this last thing, you know, you mentioned how the Christmas hymns, the traditional ones tend to feel stale to us. And, and I think there is a real, um, strong desire in the church today to to be very as worshipful at Christmas as we are at Easter and Good Friday and, and through Lent. I mean, we want to be, we don't want to just, and I don't know if that's because, you know, the Christmas hymns kind of get hijacked into the group that goes around uh, and, and sings Christmas carols through their neighborhoods or, you know, they, it, it, I don't, I don't know if those, good, rich hymns like Hark the Herald Angels Sing and Joy to the World have, I don't know, I don't know why they've become stale, but the fact is, in some ways they have. And so I'm very appreciative. My wife actually let me hear a new arrangement of Joy to the World. I forget who did it, uh, but it was very good. They didn't compromise the integrity of the song lyrically or musically, uh, but they gave it a fresh feel, kind of in the genre of worship that we do here at Res that, you know, made me feel like I wanted to worship to that song again, mm -hmm. you know, which mm -hmm. I, I'm so appreciative of that when we can find that kind of stuff. Yeah. Nice. So I guess we'll move on to our uh, recommended reading. And John, in the new format, you said suggested reading, watching and listening. I'll start since I have a listening thing, since we're talking about music. And this uh, this album is several years old. And people who know me will be like, well, of course, you recommended that for Christmas. It's August Burns Red and their Sledden Hill album, and it's instrumental metal Christmas arrangements, and it is glorious. <laughs> when you can, when you okay. can fit, I'm going to have can, to check that out. When you can fit a blast that beat. That makes my brain hurt thinking about it. When you can fit a blast <laughs> beat into a Christmas song, you have my attention. <laughs> wow. wow. And it's, it's incredible. So anyway, proceed, fellas. You know, in the spirit of music, I have a listen to as well, but it's not an album or an artist. It's one hymn, and I don't care who sings it. Of the Father's Love Begotten, one of my absolute favorite Advent and Christmas hymns. Go check it out. It's beautiful. Of the Father's Love Begotten. Uh, I'm, I have a recommended reading, a book called The Jesus Style by Gail Irwin. Um, it, it is, it's a fantastic little read, a short relatively short book, short chapters uh, for those that uh, would prefer that. Um, and it, he basically goes through, I think, 15 characteristics of Jesus um, in, in his earthly ministry on earth. And he, he has such a way with words to even describing the, the advent of Christ uh, and talking about the the angels coming to sing to shepherds who were really considered like thieves or criminals in that day uh, and how those shepherds 
thieves, criminals came in to the city announcing what they had heard, saying, you know, hey, this guy, Josh, is born. That's, that's essentially the, how common Jesus's name was in that right. day. Yeah. And, 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 and Gail does such a good job of, of painting really kind of what I was saying earlier about recapturing the grit and the beauty of the Christmas story and also all of Jesus's, you know, ministry and life. I think he does a great job. So it's, it's called the Jesus style by Gail Irwin. Man, when you say Josh, I just think of a guy with like kind of long curly black hair and like, like a blue short sleeve button down shirt, <laughs> and like khakis. And yeah, like exactly. And be like, Hey guys, uh, What's up? Yeah. yeah. Trying to be vaguely cool. So yeah. it's, 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 I know it's Yeshua, the whole thing. Yeshua, like, yeah. yeah. It, it reminds me of an episode of the Happy Behold Rams. one, <laughs> behold, there is one greater than I who is coming and his name is Josh. 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 I mean, that's really how that yeah. would have sounded. I know. And, and, and a little detail like that, I think gets lost for us, doesn't it? Right. A lot of times is that you, you imagine these, you know, grimy shepherds come running into town saying, Josh has been born. <laughs> you kind of go, man. You guys have smoking something out there on the hillside. Yeah. You know, like what, what are you? What are you so jacked up about? But that's there, that's a big part of the story. There was a, an episode of the Happy Rant Sports uh, a, a few weeks ago, and they were talking about great quarterbacks. They were like, all right, prospective parents, if you don't want your child to become a great quarterback in the NFL, name him Josh. <laughs> so, so think of all of the great quarterbacks in the history of the NFL. None of them were named Josh. None of them. <laughs> can, you, can, you see the, can you see the angels in the sky? You know, behold, to you has been born this day in the city of Philadelphia an amateur skateboarder, and his name is Josh. <laughs> <laughs> That said, if you're actively writing and performing music and would like to be an official Westminster artist and get a song played at the end of one of these podcasts, fill out our application at westminstereffects.com. This week, we will feature Roger Limoges' demo of the Osteen Distortion, so you'll get a taste of how that thing sounds in a metal mix. Uh, it's about to get a little rowdy, but, you know, for those of you who don't like screaming vocals, there are none. So enjoy that. Thanks a lot for listening. See ya. <laughs>